This episode is brought to you by Margie Lamb, health coach and founder of Healthy and Hustling. Are you fed up with the dieting and the seemingly contradictory health advice out there? Do you want to feel great in your body and accomplish your goals in a way that's empowering and not overwhelming? For me, the answer was an easy yes. Five years ago, I was pushing 200 pounds. I worked out twice a day and counted my calories. I didn't really see a movement on the scale nor my body type. So I decided to check my ego and call up a health coach. Margie, as a certified integrative nutrition health coach, works with each client as a guide and mentor to build a healthy, sustainable lifestyle that will help you reach your health goals. She offers free one-hour initial consultations. To learn more, visit her website, www.healthyandhustling.com. That's www.healthyandhustling, spelled H-U-S-T-L-I-N dot com. Have you ever scrambled with thoughts on how you were going to entertain your guest at your big event or a big event that you were hosting? Why not treat your amazing guest with live music? Allow me to personally recommend to you a saxophonist that is guaranteed to bring his best every time he performs. Verl Tolbert is his name. His body language, his enthusiasm, his smile will tell you his story. Verl played at my wedding and he was also a guest on this podcast, episode number four. A natural entertainer and talented musician, Verl T, the perfect choice for all events and special occasions, playing smooth jazz, R&B, neo-soul, blues, pop, and gospel music are his passion. Saxophonist Verl Tolbert is from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and has been playing saxophone for over 15 years. Verl T plays alto, soprano saxophone, electric wind instrument, also known as the iwi, with a heavy dose of soul. Allow Verl T to help make your event something super special. For booking information, navigate to verlt.com. That's Verl spelled V-E-A-R-L, the letter T, dot com. You are listening to Defining Moments Podcast. Hi, everyone. My name is Wong Lam, your host of Defining Moments Podcast. Thank you for listening in and showing your love and support to our show. A defining moment is a moment you define or the moment defines you. The world needs to hear about your defining moment. We learn from it. We draw inspiration from it. We cry with you. We laugh with you. We celebrate you. This podcast is your platform to capture and share your story, a story that will build bonds within your family as well as your community. When you share stories, we all gain a better appreciation for the unique people around us that we would not normally converse with. When was the last time you had a meaningful conversation with your neighbor, said hi to a total stranger, or even hugged a friend? Be interested in others. Be a good listener. Have that deep, meaningful conversation. Join the conversation. I'd like to acknowledge my beautiful wife, Margie, for her amazing work on this podcast. And to the guests that's taken their time and showed courage to come onto this podcast to share their story, 
with you. This is episode number 22 with my man, Nate Gomez. This is Nate's second appearance on this podcast as he takes you through one of his most challenging seasons of his life. This episode is one that you will not want to miss. How long did that season last for Nate? What effect did this season have on Nate's faith? How did it affect his belief in himself and his family? Nate, I am so honored to have you as my friend. I love the way you use social media. Your journey is one of inspiration, determination, and grit. I am very excited for you and your family. Your wisdom, energy, words are beautiful. Nate Gomez once said, A season of loneliness is often God's training for greater influence. People who are not afraid to stand alone are the ones who change the world. What was it like being alone in the woods? How did you handle it? I'm so excited about this podcast that we're going to just dive right on into it. Enjoy. Today's special guest is a repeat guest. His name is Nate Gomez. Nate, welcome back to the podcast. Man, thanks for having me. Yeah, man. So how's your day been? It's been good. Yeah. yeah. Today's a good day. So What made it so good? Yeah. Well, so man, we went uh, back to school shopping for Hannah. And so, man, it's just, this is the blessing to get to do that. So there were times where... We couldn't afford to do that. And so, yeah. man, to be at a place where we can go take her shopping has been a, man, it's a blessing. So, yeah, yeah really thankful. What uh, did you buy her? What did you buy her today? Man, I said, go get it. You know, so she's every, you know, the past couple of years have been hard on us financially as a family, but uh, she has felt the weight of that in different ways. You know, she's used to hearing us say, I don't know if we can afford that, you know, mm-hmm. or like, you know, is it on sale or, you know, do we have a coupon? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, stuff that I had to grow up with. And so, um, you know, she, it's, she's, she'll protect us in that way. She won't pick something that costs more if she knows, you know, we can't, or she won't allow herself. And so today to be able to go and just say, you get whatever you want was like, uh, it was a treat for me. It was a treat yeah. for her. And just to see her light up, you know, and to know that, she could go to school with confidence knowing that she's got everything she needs in terms of the school supplies and clothing is, oh my gosh, it's a blessing. So just a really thankful heart today. Today was a, a great day. Yeah. That's awesome, man. I actually met Hannah probably, what, four or five weeks ago yeah. at Whole Foods, yeah. man. Yeah. yeah. Super special Yeah, girl. Yeah. She's a neat kid. Yeah. Speaking of Hannah, so your pictures, obviously I mentioned them and I'm, I still mention them every single time. They're amazing. Mm-hmm. We're driving I-35 going north, right? From outside Norman heading into Moore. And there's a picture on the right side, a big billboard, and has is it Hannah yeah. staying on that yeah, hey Bill. barrel? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what how, how did this come about? Because Margie pointed that out and I yeah. said, That picture sounds familiar from what Margie described yeah. to me. So I think I don't know. So we actually got the highway, looped back around, and yeah. drove by it again. Like, yes, yeah. Hannah. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. How did that come about? Yes. Uh, Norman Regional Medical Center, uh, I think they wanted a, I don't know, they hired an ad agency in their campaign. They wanted something to look like Oklahoma. I, I don't, I was my guess, and I don't know, but the, the ad agency was who contacted us. So mm-hmm. they Googled Oklahoma photographers. I don't know how they came across my photos. Uh, and they reached out to me and said, man, we'd love to use some your your photography for this campaign. This is what we're doing. And I said, yeah, which, you know, what what, what, what photos are you interested in? Let's let try to work it out, make it work. She's, they said, well, we like this picture of this little girl mm-hmm. on the hay bale. I said, well, mm-hmm. that's my daughter, you know. And so, and they said, man, everybody, we, 
we show this to, they really love it. We feel like that's the heart of what we're trying to capture, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and so we worked it out and, 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 and I didn't hear from them. There was like a lot of gaps in the communication. And so I, I you know, sent it to them and then, you know, there was some feedback and then we did a couple edit type things and then we didn't hear from them for a long time. And then one time April and Hannah were driving home from like Durant or something. Yeah. And they all of a sudden they saw her hang on the <laughs> billboard. They were like, Oh my gosh, you know? So that was pretty cool. And so, yeah, it was, it was pretty neat. She was excited. And we, we said, Hannah, what does it feel like to be like on a billboard? You know? seriously. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, seriously, what does it feel like? She's like, it's, it's pretty good. This feels pretty good. Yeah, it is pretty cool. I mean, I'd be walking to school like, oh yeah, I was on that billboard. You know? Yeah. That's yeah, pretty awesome. So it's funny. How's the photography going for you? Man, it's, it's good. And, um, you know, I, uh, I got a, like a, a project going on right now, but, uh, you know, it's photography, uh, for me is, is, is really about like, I don't know, it's, it's in my heart towards it. And so like, if I can have a pure heart towards, towards what I'm doing in, in photography and it comes out of that place, man, it, it's good. And if it ever gets out of whack, like if I'm ever trying to go force something because mm-hmm. like I want to post something, you know, I want people to like it. Or if I ever kind of lean towards it, which can, you know, can get in the way sometimes. Yeah. And if I'm ever in that place, I find that something's out of whack, you mm-hmm. know, and I need to maybe take a break. But as long as I'm in that place of man and not trying to force things, but just like, man, I, you know, it's kind of weird, but like sometimes I just want to go out and take a picture or, yeah. or sometimes, you know, somebody asks me to do a, a photography thing and, and sometimes I'm, I'm not quite in a good place to do it. And sometimes I, I am and I'm excited. And so, uh, Newton running is a, a running shoe out of Boulder, Colorado. I wear their shoes and I'm a Newton running ambassador mm-hmm. and they sent me some pre shoes that are not quite launched yet. And they asked me to take some photos of my shoes and it was like my favorite thing, right? They yeah. sent brand new shoes. Yeah. I'm taking pictures of my own feet and these <laughs> shoes. I mean, it's like awesome. So I've just been working on that the past couple of evenings and, and mornings. And, and, uh, I got a few that I'm really excited about and send them and they'll, they'll post it. Nobody will know it's me. You know, they'll just, they'll post right. Newton running and, and, uh, you know, so that's pretty cool. And, and, you know, free shoes. Uh, so I love it. That's that kind of stuff is, is exciting. I enjoy doing that, you know, so. Yeah, I've actually seen those pictures. So I'm thinking if I work out harder and get my calves <laughs> in shape like yours <laughs> and take really good pictures. Yeah, yeah. you never the, know, man. Newton will be like, hey, who's that? Uh, Asian yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, that's Wong. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> so. You've actually inspired me to take pictures and I just use my cell phone. And yeah. after I see a picture, I just... If yeah, I see man, I've seen some of your stuff. It's looking good. Yeah, your shots, man. <laughs> You're too kind, man. That's awesome. It looks good. And but what you said, it, if it speaks to you, mm-hmm. right? It's not about the likes, yeah, or the retweets or mm-hmm. the Instagram, yeah, loves whatever they call them. Yeah. It's it's about what speaks to you, yeah. the heart, man. If yeah. you feel like it impacts you, then dude, why yeah. not? Yeah, right. And if it impacts one person, that's even better. Yeah, for right? sure. Yeah, man, man, it's awesome. You are on episode five. And I started this podcast about almost a year ago and did research probably three years before that. And I was like, man, who can I get on? I wonder who wants to come on and share a story. And so I reached out to you. And of course, you jumped all over it. And since then, I felt like our relationship, our friendship has gotten even stronger. And I feel like we bonded more. Yeah, absolutely. And I can't thank you enough for your friendship, man. Oh man, I appreciate it. And your support to me, the podcast, and to Marty has been it's been awesome, man. Oh man, yeah. So I just I echo that back at you. And this isn't this is from the heart. And my April, who's never met you, my wife and Hannah said that 
you are my biggest fan and that you are the most encouraging person they've ever known. And so, man, you're just, uh, anything that, uh, in terms of a friendship is, it, it, man, you, the reciprocity is just an overflow of what you've been doing as a person of who you are, man. So, uh, you're just a good dude and I appreciate you. Appreciate your friendship, man. You got to do it anytime. Yeah. So obviously you're married, you have a daughter, you want to try athlon. Let's see, you spoke to the OU football team a couple of times. You spoke to the Texas A&M football team. Let's see, what else? You spoke to Edmund North wrestling team. You've done, you've done all these speaking engagements, motivational speeches. So with all that being said, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. So, which leads me to one of my favorite quotes that you said is, uh, the best surfer out there is the one having the most fun. Right. Are you having fun now? Oh yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. So yeah, I love that. That's a, that's such a good quote and it doesn't pertain to everything. Right. I mean like the wrestling, yeah. <laughs> the best wrestler out there, <laughs> doesn't matter how much fun you're having, dude, you know what I mean? Like you're yeah. going to get beat up. Yeah. So, but, but with things, you know, like photography, mm-hmm. uh, you know, things like that, where you're trying to produce something or create something, I think it, that's a good gauge, man. You yeah. know, is your heart in the right place? Are you having fun doing it? Are you mm-hmm. enjoying the process? Because if not, it doesn't matter how good your stuff is, right? If you're right. some grumpy dude, like, yeah, but look how amazing my, it's like, yeah. it doesn't go together. So that's a really good gauge. And I think there's that, there's always that pressure, that expectation to get better or to, for your stuff to be good. But, uh, you know, are you having fun? Are you enjoying doing it? And if it ever gets out of whack, that's a, a good question to ask yourself, bring you back to that place, you know, that, that balance. So. Yeah. Yeah, man. The uh, sermon or the, I guess, officiant Mm -hmm. was giving. And so it really stuck with me. And so I reached out to you again based on our conversations and meetups the last year. And I felt something there. And I felt like there's, you were hurting, but I wasn't for sure. I didn't Mm -hmm. want to dig deep because I just just didn't want to dig deep. Yeah, yeah. And so I know where you are now. And this job, and I'd like to know if there's many moments that led up to sure. another moment to where you are today. Yeah. Yeah, man. So you want me to yeah. give you the whole story? Let's do it. I'd okay. love to hear it. I, all of our listeners would love to hear yeah. it. Yeah. So, you know, this is, uh, I don't know that I've ever shared like uh, this this whole deal. So the last, you know, uh, almost three years. So it's been about 34 months in between uh, the day I got let go at, and I'm, I'm kind of he- hesitant to say the name of the company because I don't want, I don't want it to put it in a bad light or anything. Uh, and then to where my new job. Uh, so, but I'll kind of, I'll kind of backtrack maybe a little bit. 2014 was, I don't say like the best year of my life, but it was a lot of really good things happened that year. My word for that year was, was boring. Like, like be boring, right? It's okay just to be boring, which which to me was about, you don't have to know, even if nobody says, Hey, you're off, you know, or a good workout or whatever, who cares? Just be, don't worry about just focus on priorities. And I don't know if it was a result of that or what, but man, like a lot of great things happened that year. So I won, I won red man, my job, my career, even though I didn't love what I did, I was doing well at it. And I Mm -hmm. had tripled my salary, you know I mean? Like it was making good money, had a lot of balance, like I felt like even though I was training really hard, it didn't take any time away from my family. I think if you would have asked April or Hannah, they would have just been like, man, you know, he's, he's at home. He's here. He's with us. He's dialed in, you know? And then even like in our neighborhood, we had like pancake parties for mm-hmm. our neighbors. All the neighbor kids showed up at our house. We had pancakes. We had water balloon fights. I would fill up like water balloons for <laughs> hours, like hours of water balloons, you know? Yeah. And then, uh, 
we got a shout out from little kid president you know that kid the kid's president yeah, yeah who does yeah. those videos yeah, yeah he gave us a shout out you know nice. yeah i was like <laughs> but I mean, there was several things i just felt like i was at a place of balance i was like you know i was i was happy i had one red man and then after i won red man and uh I, I, t- I felt like, man, if I was ever going to try a full Ironman, if I was ever going to try to qualify for Kona, like now was the time or I was never, I was never going to do it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I asked April and Hannah both. I said, man, I, I feel like I can do this. I feel like I can maybe qualify for Kona and we let's all go to Hawaii. Would you, you know, you guys want to do that? I want to do it right. I want to, you know, it's going to take a lot of work. And they were on board and had they said like, no, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, you're good. Let's just take a break. You just won red man. You know, let's just chill out. Let's just yeah. not. I think I probably would have quit doing triathlon then. I would, cause I was content, you know, it was the only thing left for me to try to do. And, uh, so all of that balance that I had in 2014 kind of went away. Like I started training I, in my head. I was like, I knew how hard that effort was to do half. And I had to double that to do a full Ironman. And so. Um, man, I didn't, you know, my social life went away. There was no more pancake parties in the neighborhood. There was no more water balloons. It was like, I had my job, my training, my family. That was it. No mm-hmm. friends, no, not even extended family. Like, you know, we're going to go to my in-laws. I was like, okay, I'll just stay here and ride my bike. You know, I mean, that's, that's where I was. So I teetered a little too far into that, that training. And it was almost a whole year. I mean, like that whole winter I was just training. And then when leading up into the, the spring and summer, I was just training for this Ironman that I picked out. I was going to do Ironman Boulder. And, um, and so we went up in Boulder in May, we stayed with a friend and I trained up there and it was kind of like a a blessing and a a curse because I went up there and the air was thin Mm -hmm. and I thought it was going to hurt my lungs, you know? So I was like, man, I got to get used to it. But I was so much faster on the bike. I was just like, I did a hundred miles and like never broke a sweat. It was the weirdest, wow, unusual. So I was like, this is incredible. I'm going to kill it. You know, this is my head in the back of my mind. You should never think that going into it in Ironman. (laughs) So, and then I came back just knowing in my head what I had to do. And then, um, you know, we had April, Hannah's birthday. And then after Hannah's birthday, we were going to go back up, stay for a few days. And then my race was August 2nd. And uh, the day before we were supposed to leave, I got in a, a bike wreck and it just tore my bike completely up. I was just riding and my head was down and I looked up and there was a tree branch in the road and, and I just thought, I, mean, I was just going to run over it, right? I was just yeah. going to bump and just hopefully land. It ripped my whole front tire off. It ripped my jersey completely off my back. I was bloody everywhere. Uh, broke my helmet. And I thought it was just, I, I bounced up to my feet, but I mean, I was just, a, just blood all over. Oh, and wow. uh man just cracked something in my in my chest i mean but i i was just uh, i couldn't believe it you know just what just happened and so but i still shut that out like completely like i, I mean i had a bad wreck i probably yeah. should have went to the hospital and april came and got me and we took my bike and the only thing i'm thinking of is my race right? yeah <laughs> i yeah. get my bike fixed we're still going to colorado and then they're like you need to go to doctor and i'm like we got to pack because we're leaving tomorrow to go yeah. to Boulder. And they're like, you're not going anywhere. And right. so I just completely shut that out. And, and we went up to Boulder. I was bleeding that bandaged up and I, and I still went up there and raced and, and uh, I had a, a tough swim. So like I came out of the water of the Ironman pretty far back, like a hundred and something, like almost maybe close to 200 place. And by the time the bike ended, I was in 12th place overall. So I made up like, Cause I knew I had a tough swim, you know? And so yeah. I was just like blowing it up on the bike and I just caught 
I was in like in 12th place. Yeah. I caught a guy in transition. So he was taking his time and I was in and out, got my shoes on, boom, I'm on the run. So I passed him. Now I'm in 11th. And there was a guy hurting on the run right off the bat, caught him. So now I'm in 10th. And I'm thinking like, I'm just going to check these guys off. Right? Yeah. And somewhere around mile six, like I felt like a little twinge in my calf, you know, like like, like the beginnings of a cramp, you mm-hmm. know, and you feel it and you're like, oh man, no, no, please don't. Yeah, be yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I'd never cramped here in Oklahoma. And then just kind of tried to fight through it, tried to stretch it out a little bit. And then the next time it came on, it just whoom, just locked my whole leg up. Oh. And so now I'm kind of like limping, you know, and running on the just sheer, like, please, you know, praying like, God, let this not. And then both calves locked up, whom then both quads locked up. And then my, I've never experienced anything where my legs oh, just man. from the arches of my feet to my glutes, just, just locked completely locking, up. Yeah. I mean, like I just, I mean, it couldn't. And, uh, so I just kind of limped along, had to walk it out a little bit and ran. And I think I finished like 37th overall of the whole Ironman, which some people are like, man, that's incredible. Your first full Ironman. It's a legit like Ironman race. Mm-hmm. But I was, uh, I was, I was frustrated, I guess, but, but I was pretty content. I'd given it like this ridiculous professional level effort. I felt like I missed qualifying for Kona by two spots. Yeah. Uh, they took the top seven in my age group. I finished ninth and missed it. And uh, April and Hannah on the way home, you know, to Oklahoma, they're like, man, you're handling it really well. And I was like, man, I feel like I, I wouldn't have changed anything. There was nothing I would have done differently. You right. know, I don't look back. Sometimes you look back and like, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. But there was nothing, you know, other than the wreck, which I couldn't have prevented. There was nothing that I, I would have changed, you know, about yeah. that. Um, but then on, on the way home, we were kind of just thinking and, and I was like, man, I wish like there was another race that I, cause I felt like I had all this shape, but I just cramped up, you know, if yeah. I had another shot at it and I just didn't cramp up, I could probably qualify. And so, uh, without telling anybody, I signed up for other than April and I asked her obviously for permission. I signed up for a race in Montremblant, Canada the next week. I mean, on the way home, Wow! like I decided I was just going to try it. You know, I was like, why not? Do you think it's okay? And I think she, she was like, she knew, I think she was hurting, you know what I mean? I, in a weird way, like they were a part of that journey with me. Mm-hmm. And I felt like they, they kind of were hurting, you know, like, man, you know, like, I'm sorry. They didn't know. So I feel like that was sort of like a really quick, like, let me, maybe let's just try to do this. We should, Cause the goal for all of us, we talked about Hawaii and going. Mm-hmm. And so this is a bad decision, but I went up to Canada, Montreblanc, mailed my bike, shipped my bike up there. It didn't, I mean, like, spent a ridiculous amount of money, entry fee, didn't know anybody staying at this hotel. Like, I'm in Canada. What am I, what am I doing? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, flew into Montreal, drove, got a rental car, and showed up to the race, like, all in a week. Like, I just did Ironman Boulder. Yeah. Now I'm in Canada, you know. For the street signs. I still have my French. number. I still have my yeah. numbers on <laughs> me from, like, the previous race, you know. Was, oh, man. So, it was crazy. And uh, so, I did two two Ironmans in two weeks in two different countries. But uh, Montreal went bad. I had a good swim at Montreal actually uh, had a, had a good bike. It was really mountainous, which, uh, man, it just blew my legs up. And then a hundred yards into the run, my knee was just, I mean, just swollen up my left knee. Every time I looked down, it was just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, until the point that I, 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 I thought seriously, I'm, I'm going to hurt myself for a really long time. And, and the thing about it is like, nobody knew I was there except my mom in April. Mm-hmm. And I thought, man, I can quit. And nobody will ever know. Nobody even knows I'm here. Like I can stop, right? I can stop yeah. and just like go into medical and just do not finish. Right. And who cares, right? Uh, but there was something in me that like I, I didn't come all this way 
to quit, you know, and, uh, and I knew as people were passing me, man, I'm, I'm not going to qualify for Kona here. Uh, but I just kept, kept walking and I finished and, uh, they gave me you, right when you cross the finish line, they give you a finisher's medal. And I took my finisher's medal off and there's this little girl and it just, my heart just, I uh, just saw Hannah, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I just go and I put this, oh, my man. medal on this little girl's neck and her whole family's like, wide eyed they're looking at me and this little girl who's holding this medal you know she's wow. so proud like she did <laughs> and then i just walked back to my hotel and and i was done and you know april was keeping track of me you know how i was doing she knew it was bad but so we called and we talked about it and went back home and then uh and then a month later i lost my job at chesapeake so i, I say all that to kind of show you like where i was in my mind and in my heart and mm-hmm. coming into that moment right and so um you know, at, at, when I lost my job, it was like, uh, I didn't really see it coming, but it was, it was sort of a blessing. Like I, I didn't have the courage to quit. I wasn't happy in what I did, mm-hmm. but I was making good money. I was providing for my family. Um, I, I liked my boss and the people that I worked with, but I didn't enjoy what I did, but I didn't have the, I was never going to quit. I didn't have yeah. the courage to be like, I hate this. I'm going to quit, you know? right. especially when you're making money. And so when I got let go, they, they gave us severance. And it felt like a relief. It felt like, man, God, God gave me a chance here. Like to yeah. let me go. I still have a little bit of money to like for a few months for us to plan and figure something out. And man, I, I felt relieved. I did. I felt like, man, this is, this is, this is a good thing. That's, yeah. That was my attitude right from day one. This is, a, this is a good thing. And I was thankful. And uh, so two weeks after that, my friend Andy, uh, his son Colton uh, got killed in an ATV accident. And so I had some time on my hands. I, I had no job and Andy and I hadn't talked a lot like the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'd been texting back and forth. And, and, and when I heard about Colton, I went to go text Andy. I just heard, I was going to say, I just heard about Colton. I'm so sorry. And I'm looking down at my text and the last text I have from him says, I'm sorry, you lost your job. Let me know if, if you want to come coach wrestling with me. That's what it said. Wow. And, uh, I didn't even reply back to him, dude. Like oh, when man. I got let go, he sent me, he was the only person that texted me and he said, I'm sorry, you lost your job. Let me know if you want to come coach wrestling with me. Two weeks. I didn't even reply back to him. Colton passed away and I'm looking at this text from Andy and uh, I mean, I'm texting back. I just heard about Colton, man. I'm so sorry, you know? And uh, he said, man, I'd love for you to come over. And so I went over and, and uh, it was a hard, hard thing to walk, walk through with, with Andy and uh so he was in a he was hurting and i would just show up every day man and sometimes i'd bring him like coffee or something but mm-hmm. i would just show up and and there were times where we didn't talk a lot you know we would just sort of sit there he would show me pictures or you know and uh and we would just sort of talk about things but i think i was just somebody who he let in during that time yeah and so you know i i, I if you've ever been through a season like that with somebody, it, there's nothing to say. And there are people who say stupid things and there's, you know, people, they mean well, but you know, sometimes just, I, I believe that God put me in that position for a reason. I, I don't, I don't regret anything, but so Andy wanted to go to the wrestling room, man. And so like right after Colton passed, man, it brought him a lot of comfort just to be in the wrestling room, to be around the wrestlers who were Colton's age, Colton's friend, Colton's teammates. And Andy was a coach, and that was the only place where he felt pretty normal. Even at home, he felt a little bit lost. At mm-hmm. night, especially, he felt pretty lost. But in the wrestling room, he felt like, man, he could just jump right back into that you know, role. And so um, without really saying anything, he just sort of invited me into that part of his life. And so for that first year, I just coached with Andy, you know. And then next thing you know, you're, 
you're building these relationships with these kids, yeah. you know, and you're getting to know these, you're like, God, I love this guy. I love this wrestler, you know, and just, you see this potential in a kid and they're responding to how you're trying to motivate and encourage and show moves. And the next thing you know, dude, I was like coaching. Yeah, <laughs> I was yeah. like, I haven't coached ever. Um, but now I'm coaching <laughs> these guys and man, that was the most meaningful year of wrestling. I was a wrestler in college. And then I, you know, refereed. And so I've always been around the sport, but that was the most meaningful year of my life. I have Mm -hmm. no doubt that God wanted me there with Andy and coaching and and those kids. We had two state champs that year. I mean, just amazing. That's where I met Coach Rosen. And uh, just a very special, emotional, difficult, just crazy journey. Mm -hmm. And uh, But during that time, you know, my family, I think, got kind of lost. April and Hannah are like, what are we doing? You know what I mean? You're you're coaching wrestling, right? What are we going to do? What are, where are we going? And uh, and so, man, I had been kind of looking for jobs casually during yeah. that time, but after wrestling season was over, I felt like, okay, this is it's it's time to get like it's pretty serious about this. And so, I started like getting on Indeed, applying for jobs like aggressively, hours a day, just really customizing my resume, you know, tailoring it to every position, you know, fudging on some things. Like, yeah, yeah sure, I was doing you know whatever. <laughs> uh, I applied for I think two hundred jobs before I ever heard of like a callback, like even oh, like man. a, Hey man, you know, we interested in you. And that, that position was out of state position. We got a phone interview uh, and it didn't, didn't really go well. And then I had just a lot of, a lot of things like that. Just, mm-hmm. I mean, just, this, just the, uh, the uh, shock of it was, I thought, man, I'll, all I have to do is just call out and reach out to some people and maybe hopefully Every person I knew said, man, yeah, we know some, but surely we can get you something, you know, yeah. and just, I wouldn't hear back, you know, yeah. I'd follow up and be like, yeah, so sorry that that didn't work out. You know, but let me know if there's anything I can do for you. I'm like, yeah, give me a job. That'd be great. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, um, and then like kind of the panic started setting in for us. And, uh, one time we just went down to Broken Bow just to get away from our house because we were in our house a lot. And then like the payments of our home and then all that stuff was just always on us. And like, just knowing that we had no money coming in, but a lot of money going out. Mm. And we went down to our, my in-laws have a cabin in Broken Bow, Hutchtown. And we went down there and man, it just felt like really peaceful. Yeah. felt really nice just to kind of get away from it. And then uh, April's folks said, man, well, you guys can, you know, you can stay at the cabin if you need to. They kind of knew they didn't want to get into our situation, but they knew that, you know, things were getting pretty tough. And so, we made the decision to sell our house and move down to the cabin and stay there and try to find jobs. That way we're getting out of our house payment and have mm-hmm. this massive outflow of money with nothing coming in. And it sounded like a really good idea at the time. And so <clears throat> we put our house on the market. It sold in two months and we moved out of that house and uh, we moved down to the cabin. And I don't think I realized uh, at the time how hard that was on Hannah and April. They, they loved that house more than they told me. Hannah's best friend lived five houses down from us. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, like her best friend, like they would just walk to each other's houses every day and uh, just took her completely away from that. She has no siblings. And then, you know, obviously, you know, so just that was hard. And Hannah never really let me know that. Well, I, you know, I was naive to expect, you know, an eight or nine year old to share that type of, you know, hurt with me. <clears throat> But she's mature, and so sometimes I forget how that she's just a kid, you know. Yeah. And it was hard on April. But we moved down to the cabin, and our our car. We put everything we had in the storage unit. Our cars were loaded with just everything we owned, and we moved down there. And we were so exhausted. Like I think we were just emotionally and everything. We just 
in a, in a, in a hard place. And I don't think, I think that was the first time we realized we're not okay, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, <clears throat> and we were at the cabin for about seven months. We met some great people down there. We, we met some, uh, uh, a small church down there, man. They loved us. And they were just like the most genuine people in the world. Yeah. And I mean like friends for life kind of people. And they just, they, they were so awesome. But that time at the cabin was, was very difficult. We had some mornings where Hannah was still asleep and April and I would talk and, and I, I share this, like, this is how bad it was. Like we would, we would, we had nothing to give each other. Like mm-hmm. we were so empty and so broken that I felt like I had nothing to give her and she had nothing to, to give me. And we both needed somebody, you know, we needed something. And, uh, and we, we were, we were pretty, pretty broken. And, um, you know, we talked about divorce. I think we were like too poor to get a divorce. It's like, mm-hmm. it was like, we can't even afford to get a divorce. Even if we, you know, it was, it was that type of brokenness. Like we were, we were hurting and empty and, and had zero, you know, affection left for, and it was just like a bad, bad place. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I'd go running, I'd go run in the woods and that was my outlet. And I just get away from the cabin and I would just go run. And man, if I got eaten by a bear, I was going to be okay with that. Like, that's how bad I was. Like, I was just, I have to go run. And the only reason I didn't want to die, I think, is because I knew it would hurt Hannah's heart. Mm-hmm. As silent as as, as as desperate as that seemed, that's where I was. I was like, I know it will make her really sad. Other than that, it wouldn't bother me to die. <clears throat> and so I would just go run. And it was that state of brokenness in my heart that I would run and pray in the woods. And so, you know, I remember one time I just yelled as loud as I could. And nobody, nobody can hear you. There's nobody out there. Nobody could rescue you. If something happened to you, I don't know how they would find you. You know what I mean? It was like that mm-hmm. kind of like isolation. And uh, and I just, there was something in that for me that I, I really, I don't want to even say the word in, enjoy. It, it was like a weird thing. I just felt really like, uh, I don't even know, man, just praying and running and shouting in the woods. This sounds like pretty crazy, right? But for me, it was very, like I needed that and mm-hmm. and, and God met me in there. God met me in the woods and I, I think like I would normally be a little cautious of saying something that to people, but I don't even care because it was so, so hard and so real for me. I remember one time I was running and praying and I was in this state of like, God, I'm about to get a divorce. I'm a, I am a failure as a father and a husband in every way. I feel like my life is like nothing to anyone, you know? And, and I've, it, it, it sounds crazy, but like I, I saw myself like in my mind, whether my eyes were closed, I don't remember, but I saw myself on a stage and I was, I was sitting in the audience on the front looking up and like you would listen to a speaker Mm. and, and I was speaking like I was on stage and, and like confident and like in, and it was, it wasn't like a motivational speech. It was like a church group or church setting, maybe even at church. Maybe it was like FCA. I don't know, but I saw myself speaking and I had this weird, just, I, I can't explain just peace, peacefulness, like, cal- like a calmness come across like goosebumps. And, uh, I just stopped running and just kind of stood there for a while. And I d- didn't even know what it meant. Like, God, what, is, what, what am I, you know, my daydreaming, I need to get out of the heat. You know, I don't know. And, uh, I didn't tell April or anybody about that. I just sort of walked back and back into our reality of kind mm-hmm. of sadness in there in the cabin. And I think at that point I just sort of made a decision. Like I, we gotta, we gotta leave the cabin. Like we, we need to go back at least to make an effort for Hannah to have some relationships and some friendships. We are killing her. You know, we're yeah. not doing her any favors. And so we moved, 
we we got a hotel for here. We were just determined, like we had no money left. We, we were going to take whatever left we had. We were going to pay a month of deposit or rent or whatever we had to do. We were just going to work and scrape. Like that was our game plan just to, mm-hmm. just to make it. And so we got a hotel for a few nights up here and we almost got an apartment, but it was literally going to have a neighbor on the front and the back and like all around us. And so we just, we had what we call a yellow light. Anytime we're about to do something, we're like, eh, I don't know. We call it like a yellow light. Like, let's, okay. let's hold on. Let's think about that. And we all kind of had a yellow light about the apartment. And then we, uh, we just Googled these little houses north of town. We found them and they were just a rent house community that they had developed and then it didn't quite take off. So it didn't finish. So it's just like this one little street of houses and then all the rest of it around, it's like fields and country. Yeah. And so it was a little bit more out of our price range, but we were, we were desperate. Hannah said, this is where we're meant to be. And so we, sometimes we trust Hannah's heart. And so we did. And, and, And we, we, uh, we decided to move back up here and, um, I got a couple of jobs. I, I, I was just kind of working at what I was called everybody, you know, and when you're in that state, you just start to, you're, there's no shame left, right? You don't mm-hmm. care. You'll, you'll ask anybody, Hey man, I'll do anything. You know, do you have any, any jobs? And, and so I got a couple of like odd jobs and just some, just nothing, nothing amazing, but I didn't care. And then I uh, have a cousin who works at Tinker and he said, maybe we can get you on at Tinker. I said, man, gosh, that'd be, that'd be amazing. Right. Mm-hmm. So I was at Tinker for a little bit. Uh, it took me forever to get on board from the time. Like I said, you have a job till the time I showed up was like three months. I mean, it just takes wow. forever to get on there. And then you have to go through all this orientation. And I didn't even know what I was going to be doing, you know, and then I show up my first day of the job and it was like, oh my gosh, it was, it was terrible. <laughs> I mean, it was so bad. It was so bad. And I thought, oh man, what am, what am I going to do? You know, the only thing worse than, than having a bad job is no job, you know, but right this was a bad job and um man i was so thankful for my cousin thankful for that opportunity thankful you know my heart was so conflicted i'm like gosh this guy went out on a limb to get me this job and this is it's terrible these these guys are like there are 10 people who have cancer and they don't know if it's because they smoke a pack of cigarettes a day or because of the chemicals that we're spraying in these in this second it was like oh. it was just oh my gosh we're crazy and so man i just april she said you you gotta quit and so i didn't i didn't last long at tinker and then uh I mean, that was the hardest thing, quitting them when you know like how hard you've been through the last couple and you have a job and it's like, oh my gosh. And so I quit that job and uh, I was like, hey, we're no, no worse off than we were a couple months ago, right? Mm-hmm. And then I got a job at, at Red Coyote selling shoes. I mean, I have a great relationship with Red Coyote and uh, I've always taken some photos for them and I've always just really appreciated what they do for for the running community in Oklahoma. Yeah. And I just really just love, I love running shoes. And so, I mean, it was a great fit. You know, it wasn't a lot of money, but man, it was a, it was a blessing for me just to be around people who were, who were working out, who are active and, and just being around shoes. And man, I did really well at Red mm-hmm. Coyote and I, and I enjoyed, I enjoyed every moment of it. And I love, I still love them so much. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and I left on great terms. I was only there for a few months, but I did, did really well. And then this opportunity came along. And so, uh, April was working at Mercy Fitness Center. She's working at the front desk. Yeah. And some friends of ours came in, uh, Bo and Kelly Odell, and their their dad is John. He's the director of SCA Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And they came in and they said, "Hey, our dad's been really trying to get a hold of Nate. You know, do you do you have his his number?" And well, of course, you know. And so, <laughs> I mean, that day John calls me. He said, "What are you doing, man?" I said, "Oh, nothing much." He said, "What are you What are you doing? Like, what's your job? What are you doing right now?" I said, "Man, we've been through we've been through a hard time. I'm working at Red Coyote right now." And he was like, "Man, I need you to meet me for breakfast." And so. I met him for breakfast and he didn't know what we had been through, you know, and, and I was just sharing my story with him and 
we went from breakfast to his office and we signed up and he said, dude, you're, you're coming to work for me at FCA. Oh, man. He's like, I've never had an interview like this before. <laughs> oh, wow. And so he said, you're, you're, you, you need to be here. And so, man, it was, it was amazing. Like I was, I was just in tears. I told April, she was said, how'd your breakfast go with John? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I said, well, it, was, it went good. So I, yeah. got, I got a new job and, and man, it's just been, it's been amazing. It's been a blessing. And so, uh, it, it's, it's a great, great fit for me. It's a yeah. great fit for our family, you know? And, uh, so that's, that's been my, that's been my journey for the last few years. And so it's, it's been hard. We went, when we came back, I, I, I almost hesitant to share this part, but when we came back to Oklahoma from being in the cabin, April and I would, we told each other, you know, we'll, we'll go through counseling, you know, maybe let's try to get some counseling. And so we went to a counselor. She's really, really well known. And she does couple of counseling. She's a Christian lady. And mm-hmm. I mean, we went through like 10 weeks or 12 weeks or something like that. And at the end of it, you know, she said, there's so much hurt that, and she was like, I don't think I've ever told anybody this. But she said, you guys might be better off apart. Mm-hmm. You know, she said that to us. And I was like, after after all of this, like, this is where we are, you know? Yeah. And, and I think April and I just kind of looked at each other and we had to decide, are we, are we content with that? You know? And, and I think God's bigger than that, you mm-hmm. know, it's just in my, in my head and my heart. And, and I think we just decided, you know, we, we're going to reject that, that, that answer. You right. know what I mean? And, uh, I, I don't think it's been like anything that we've done and it certainly hasn't been easy, but we've just, we've made some steps. Uh, just to to heal a little bit mm-hmm. and uh, i think i think we're on our way back to healing back yeah. to back to a better place and back to good parents for hannah and back right. to i think what a marriage should be and, and uh it's 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 not easy you know i have no doubt and i tell our story of how we met is is pretty special and pretty amazing but even with that marriage is hard mm-hmm. and uh it's but but God is good, man. God yeah. is faithful, and He's He's helping us. And so, man, it's been a it's been a hard journey, and uh, I'm so thankful, man. Yeah, you know, a lot more, a lot more wise and mature than I was before. <laughs> a lot more. There's things that I do now that I didn't didn't do before, and you know, as hard as it is, I'm thankful. You know, I'm thankful. Yeah. Did you think back in when you're training? You won the triathlon, Redman, in 14, and you're training for Kona, and you went to uh, Denver or Colorado, and you did the triathlon there as a, I guess, a qualifier mm-hmm. to get to Kona. Did you, when the training that you were doing for that, the preparation, and you talked about being on the bike instead of going to your in-laws, and mm-hmm. did you have a sense at that time that, like, oh, man, you know, I'm, I'm neglecting a certain part of my family. Yeah. You know, I think no, I mean, what's weird is like, I was aware of the fact that like, I was only going to do it for a season. You know, I think some people, and this, this sounds like justification. So the answer to your question is I, I was, I knew I was neglecting certain things, but I didn't care because, um, I was training. I knew I, what I wanted to do. I knew that some of some of the things I had to sacrifice during that time. Um, I, I I don't. I wasn't aware that they would hurt me long term or the impact of it. Right. But I knew that the the level that I had to commit to 
demanded that type of mindset. And so as weird as, you know, there was some, there were some things that I neglected in my life, but, but the development that happened to me mentally and maturity during that process of the mental toughness, like I thought I was training hard, you know, but I, I wasn't like being honest with yourself and, and, and man, that, that mental discipline that came with that mm. was a trade. So yeah. like, yes, there were some things that got neglected, but there was a lot of maturity. There was a lot of wisdom. There was a lot of growth in my mind as a person. I think there was, I, I say this kind of weird. There's access to your personality and your brain that you don't have access to until you suffer to a level where you've never been. I mean, it's, there's a lot of things and you know, that, and just, just, I learned, I just yeah. soaked up all the knowledge that I could. And, and, you know, and so, yes, it, it came with, it came with a cost, but I, I gained, I gained some things in that process as well. So yeah, that's a backwards way of answering your question. No, I, I think that's a great answer. I think it, I feel like from those moments when you're training the mental discipline, mm -hmm. it's actually, this is the reason why you're married you're still married. Yeah. You're able you both you and April are both able to provide for Hannah. Yeah. You've got this amazing job. A job that I feel like yeah. is this is Nate Gomez. Yeah. You know, and yeah. the mental discipline. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. I mean, I think like if you if you see a professional athlete and and they're excelling on the highest level, I mean, you think of just a name that kind of pops into your head. And you see somebody who who is doing that and has, you know, a family. That family is on that journey. They're right. on board with that person and their lifestyle. If you followed that person around, you'd be like, this is the most like obsessed person ever. Like all they do is the sport, you know, and their family yeah. just is, is gets what's left and their family's okay with that. And, and it works in certain dynamics and they give, you know, I'm not saying they neglect everything, but they probably don't hang out with their buddies. Right. Yeah. They probably don't watch TV. Yeah. They probably don't go to things after work. You know what I'm saying? Like they, all they do is work out. All they do is train. All they do is perform. And then their family, that's it. That's mm -hmm. all they have. And so I was, I would, that's, that's all I did. And I didn't care. I was unapologetic about it. I knew I was only going to do it for a little bit. And this was my one shot. And I felt like, man, I just want to give it everything I have. I don't want to look back and be like, man, I wish I would maybe give it a shot, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I don't, I don't regret it. Yeah. Man, I love that. Mm -hmm. And which you've done in the past to what you're currently doing and what I feel like you're futuristically going to do has inspired me to a, the next level. And I'll use your quote. So you got to give yourself permission to win. Mm -hmm. And on this podcast, doing research two, three years, and then finally doing it and marrying the girl of my dreams, Margie, she's yeah. all on board. She does everything. And I I take my PTO to record podcasts, to hear stories. Yeah, because I awesome. feel like I that's how I learn. Yeah. That's how I give back. Mm -hmm. You know, and of course I can go take PTO and go sit at the lake or whatever, and yeah. that's fine. Or clean the house, however it's these are the moments man, yeah. and you're the man in the moment right now that i absolutely adore and admire well, i appreciate it man yeah man. for sure yeah so what's your day-to-day -day job here yeah man right. so fca um for right now um you know i i, I started mid-july and leading up to the time school starts um, a part of what i have to do is raise support so my salary 
and my expenses for my job or this ministry are set by FCA. But but with that comes some expectation that, man, you have to raise some support. You have to ask people, hey, will you give to FCA? Will you support my ministry? And uh, what's crazy is like, you know, there were times throughout my journey where we had to ask for help. Like we we had to ask for help from our families, which was humiliating for me. And it was hard and our families helped us. But with that help came some judgment, you know, like, why isn't Nate just working at like, you know, Lowe's or I hope Depot's hiring, you know, those type of things. It just, it was hard. It made it to the point where like, I didn't want to ask, you know what I mean? Cause with that came yeah. a lot of suggestions, a lot of like, you know, just like unnecessary, like, look, man, you know, I just need some gas in my car. You know? yeah. 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 And then uh, a few, few months ago, man, I, I, we didn't have enough. I was working, April was working. Uh, and we didn't have enough money for our bills. We didn't have enough money for to pay our rent. And uh, I didn't have my car. Just gas was not great efficient. And I didn't. I knew uh, we, we weren't gonna have enough money. And I sent out a text to five friends, and I just said, "Listen, you know, I'm not asking for money. I'm not asking for help. But here's where I'm at because it's this is very hard for me to even tell people. It's humiliating for me to ask. And I just said, "Man, I'm I I need help." I need, I'm just praying for a good job. I'm just asking, you know, for you guys to, I'm just, I don't want to like give up and, and not have asked for help when people are like, dude, all you had to do was ask, you know what I mean? Cause that was yeah. hard for me to do. And so right. I wanted to at least cover my bases. <laughs> Sounds yeah. horrible, but I just, I didn't want April to be like, you didn't even, you know, you ask, you know, I had like, it took, took all that I could think of just to think of five friends, you know, and I just sent this text and, uh, and the response I got back was, was overwhelming. You know, I had one friend that, that didn't even reply to my text, which, which kind of hurt, you know, it's like, you didn't even say, man, are you praying for you? Or, Hey, I got your text, man. You know, I can't do anything, yeah. but gosh, I'm, you know, praying nothing, you know, yeah. but I had four, four friends who like stopped what they were doing mm -hmm. and just said, can you meet me right now? Like right now. And I want to give you something. And I was like, man, you know, I would text back, hey, I don't want anything. I just, you know, pray. no, I am going to find you if you don't <laughs> meet me somewhere, wherever you are. Like, yeah. And uh, so I was like, man, I have Hannah with me and like, bring Hannah. Uh, yeah. And so I, Hannah, do you want to go with me to meet some friends? She's like, Hannah's like, sure, let's, yeah. do, I'm, let's do whatever. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I'm not going to name these guys, but these four dudes saved our lives. Yeah. And one of them gave us a bag of change. Like they put their change in a, a change jar and they save it up for a special occasion. Yeah. And they just, he said, dude, it's all I got, but I want you to have it. And man, yeah. he, it felt like he gave me a million dollars. Like I was just crying, you know, like, yeah. man, I thank you for this. Like I believe in my heart, like God is going to bless you because you gave me this change and had another friend just give us, you know, just a gracious, gracious gift. And I told Hannah, I said, I don't know. That was like a turning point for me. Uh, that's when I felt like things started to change for me. And um, so it, it, it showed me that, man, you got to be able to receive. It's not, yeah. it's not, it's, it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to receive help. Yeah. It's okay to. And so the, the crazy thing about this job is that like God gave me a job where I have to ask people for help, you know? Mm. And uh, I do, I'm just, I'm going to people, but it's with confidence knowing that, man, what I'm doing is something that I believe in. What I'm doing is, is, is reaching kids for Christ. And, and man, I wish I had this when I was in high school. I was right. lost and I had nothing. And to have FCA, to be able to walk into schools, to walk into a practice, to be able to talk to coaches, to be able to go to a FCA and see student athletes and be like, man, God loves you. You know what I mean? You have a purpose and a plan beyond sports. And just to talk with them. As a per I wish I had that in my life. And yeah. so 
I have a niece. Uh, her name's Emily. She's an eighth grader at a UConn and she runs cross country. And I said, Hey man, I'm going to be FC doing FCA in UConn in your area, you know? And she said, what's FCA? I was like, you don't know what, what? <laughs> yeah, you don't know what FCA is. And it just sort of like broke my heart. Like, Oh my gosh. Like yeah. I, when I picture a kid, I picture Emily having a place that's her own where her parents would be like, man, you're going to FCA. That's awesome. You know, yeah. she's meeting friends. She's growing in her faith and she has something that's hers. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not church with her parents. It's not this, it's her own thing. And I mean, I see her, and I see a million other kids just like that who, man, they can have their own thing where they're going and they're being fed spiritually. They're growing. They're around friends. And, man, it's it's something that's good. And so I'm excited about that. I'm excited to be doing that. If you would have told me I could do this for a living, I would be like, I mean, I, 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 I kind of can't believe it. You know, it's amazing. But part of what I have to do is, is raise support. I have to go to people. I have to ask people and say, man, is this something that you would be willing to join with me? and give and as as weird as that feels to even ask um, mm. i have confidence because man I, I i just believe i know what fca did for me in my life in college and so i'm just so excited yeah yeah i'm i'm a big believer in, in what you're doing and what you represent what fca represents it's it's genuine it's authentic it's honest yeah right and it helps it helps the youth. It helps them understand purpose, mm -hmm. life, religion, yeah. and you can't beat that. Yeah, you know you can't script that. Yeah, they're just out there to help and pass on the word. And I know Margie asked me the other night. She's like, "Hey, how do I contribute more to Nate's FCA?" So here's your plug, man. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So I have a I have a, a page. It's uh, myafca.org forward slash Nate Gomez. And uh, that's my page where people can donate. And uh, if you want to put a link on this somehow, I, yep. I'd be happy for, for that to happen. Love to. Anybody who just wants to contact me uh, in Gomez at FCA.org or um, yeah, on Twitter or Facebook, whatever, just, just reach out. And, um, you know, I've been posting stuff a little bit here and there. So if anybody tries to reach out to me on social media, they'll definitely see uh, those links already are already in place. But I have a page where people go on, they set up how much they want to give and how often. Yeah. And uh, man, I'm not asking for amounts, you know, I'm not saying, Hey, it'd be awesome if you could give, you know, this amount. I just, I trust people's hearts and I trust that God is putting on people's hearts what to do. And, and mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't try to interfere with that. If somebody right. can give $5 a month or $5 once, it's all the same. You know what yeah. I mean? It's not my job to judge how much that is. It's, it's, it's all about their heart. And so man, I'm thankful for, for everybody who gives and I'm thankful for people who don't. There's some yeah. people, man, they can't give. And I, I appreciate people's prayers. I appreciate people's nothing. I just, I'm, I'm thankful. Um, but I, but I do believe that, man, God will bless whoever gives through this because man, anytime I've ever stepped out and done something where I'm given to something and I'm, I'm the recipient of the blessing. I'm the one who's, who's initial or who's ultimately blessed as because of that. So, man, I, I'm, I've, I fully believe that. And I'm, yeah, so man, I'm just excited. Yeah. So what's that link again? So it's, uh, yeah, dude, my, it's my.fca.org. So my.fca.org forward slash Nate Gomez is my All one word, Nate Gomez? Yes, sir. Okay, very good, man. Yeah, uh, we're a believer in you, like as I mentioned, and you know, we're already plugged in to yeah, man, the, I appreciate the donations. It. And another thing that you say a lot that i love is uh i believe in you yeah that's something you know that man, I appreciate we it. believe in you and that's for sure awesome man i appreciate it yeah man so my last question to you is how do you want to be remembered 
I don't want to be rude. Man, that's such a, it's, it's funny. And I, I say this like weird, but when you, it's, it's hard to shift gears and see it's like when you think of other people and giving, it's hard to like switch, switch and think about, am I doing this from a pure motive? And so anytime you think about like wanting to be remembered, it's like your motivation for doing something switches. Does that make sense? Yes. So like, am I doing this to be remembered? And if so, is how am I want to be remembered? So I honestly don't, don't think like that, but I, I you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. it's hard to, it's hard to shift that, but you know, I want to be, if people like say like man they go man like i i want us people to see somebody who's just real and uh and and the him and nate is like himself you know yeah. I mean? he's not trying to be like anybody else he's there's really he's just a unique guy like there's uh and and i want that to be in such a way that people like i want to just be myself like you know what i mean yeah. like i don't want to be nate i don't want to be anybody i just want to be true to myself and and when you when you encourage people to do that, I think of my daughter, and I'm getting teared up. Like, like you are so amazing, just you. You know what I mean? Like, there's yeah. nobody. You don't have to try to impress people. You don't have to try to be like anybody. Can you just be yourself and and give yourself permission to be yourself? Because that's where your power is, and that's where uh, that's the most beautiful thing about you is your uniqueness. And and that's uh, funny. This is a this crazy story. I sat next to Sam Presti the gm of oklahoma city thunder on a plane yeah this was completely random he was flying to uh las vegas i guess and he was flying southwest and there was no doubt about it It was sam presti right and i told april we were flying out to california to see my aunt my uncle had just passed away we were going to go see her and uh, i look over at sam presti and i I told april i said you know southwest you can sit wherever you want there's nobody sitting next to him and I said, "Hey, can I go sit next to Sam Preston?" Yeah. <laughs> and she was kind of like, "Oh my gosh, you got like a like a man crush on Sam Preston." <laughs> I was like, "I owe it to Sam. You know, some big nasty person is gonna sit next to him. You know what I mean? Like, I need to go protect him." <laughs> and so I go, I sit next to Sam, and I don't say anything like during the whole like build up before we're taking off, you know, and everybody's piling in the plane, and I acting like I don't know him, and nobody's recognizing him. Nobody's like, "Hey, it's Sam." You know, nobody's yeah. doing that. Nobody, and like he's loving this, right? Because he's very introvert and weird. And so he's just kind of sitting there minding his own business. And I wait until we are like in the air and there's like nobody around us. And I lean over and I say, Hey man, can I ask you a question? And I'm sure he's thinking, Oh gosh, you know, here we go. And he's, he probably thought I was going to ask him something about basketball or Russell Westbrook or something. And, yeah. and I had heard Sam speak about a year or two before. And he said something in this message that's always stuck with me. He said, your competitive advantage is not what you do that's like the best, all right? Your competitive advantage is what you do that's unlike everybody else. And his point was that, man, like everybody looks at the best player, everybody looks at the best team, and they think, ask themselves, what are they doing, right? What are they doing? And they try to copy that, right? What is that guy doing? I want to do that because that's mm-hmm. what it takes to be successful. And he says, man, that is honestly a mistake. That's a path straight to the middle. He said, the better question and the harder question is, what do we do that's different than everybody else? What is it about me that is completely and unique and have the courage to own that and develop that? And that is where you'll find your competitive advantage. And yeah. when he said it, it like like liberated me, you know, and that message. And it kind of like blew my mind. And so I kept, I waited for the flight to go, here we are. I said, I have a question for you. I heard you speak a couple of years ago and you said this and it blew my mind. And he said, what? 
what did you say? What, because I said that. I said, <laughs> I said, yeah, you said your competitive advantage. You know, it's not what you do that's like everybody else. It's what you do that's like. And he, and he kind of was sitting there for a second. He's like, man, he's like, we need to revisit that as a team. We need to revisit that as an organization. He starts like going through his notes, like on his little iPad there. And he finds this and he goes, yeah. man, I was meant to sit next to you. And he's like, he's just talking to me about it. And he just continues to go off on this deal about all these stories and examples of like athlete. He was a brilliant guy, like yeah. the smartest guy I've ever talked to. And he talked to me all the way from Oklahoma city to Vegas. And April, we got off. I said, what'd you guys talk about? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, we just talked about competitive advantage. So you didn't talk about basketball. I said, no, we we're talking about this, but it was incredible. You know, and he got off and I was like, man, it kind of hit me later. Dude, that was Sam Presti. You know, yeah. I sure got his number or something. <laughs> But uh, it was so cool. But man, it just reiterated what I what I hope to be true about myself is that listen, man, even as a person, anytime you try to get away from who you are, you're, you're making you're you're lessing your power. You're giving yeah. your power away. You do the best and the thing you can ever do as an athlete or as as a person in general is just to own who you are and have the courage to be yourself and have the courage to develop it and grow as a person. But don't, don't ever lose sight of who you are mm -hmm. and always be true to yourself. And my daughter, man, she just lives that out every day. And that's why she's so amazing to me. She just always is herself, always true to herself. And I love that about her. And so that's what I love about you too, man. Yeah. <laughs> always true to yourself. Man. Thank you so much, Nate. Absolutely. I am touched. I am super excited for you. Yeah. Hannah, April FCA. Um, just the whole organization. I mean, they yeah. are, they, they've got Nate the Great. Yeah, man. And I this, appreciate it. This is it, man. That's awesome. When you go and do motivational speaking to these high school, colleges, et cetera, would you mind letting me know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Come, come watch. For sure. Because I definitely always learn something from you. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. One quick thing I'd like to touch when you were in Broken Bow and the tweets you sent out and the pictures you took. Mm hmm it still was very positive. Yeah. The message didn't change. Yeah. I remember you talking about in your mm -hmm. tweets about yelling out loud. Yeah. And just no one knows. Yeah. No one would know. No one wouldn't even know if I was yelling out loud yeah. in here. But the message was still positive. Yeah. The pitches were still positive. Right. That never changed. Yeah. Even though you're hurting inside. Yeah. And man, there needs more to be more Nate Gomez's around because I feel like those messages will lift this world. Yeah, man. And we'd be better off for it. Awesome. So thank you so much for oh, your time. Oh, man. Nate. Thank you, dude. All right, man. Appreciate it. Yep. Thank you. I truly hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have a defining moment or moments you would like to share, please reach out to me. I would love to visit with you about it and share it with the world on a podcast. Here's how to find me visit my website, www.definingmomentspod.com. Dot com. Follow me on Twitter at Def Moments Pod. That's at D E F Moments Pod. Search me on Facebook, Defining Moments Podcast. Follow me on Instagram at Defining Moments Podcast. That's all one word at Defining Moments Podcast. Subscribe to Defining Moments Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoyed listening to this show, I would be extremely honored if you gave us a review. This helps boost this podcast so more people can find it. Go out and be a positive influence today, every day. Make someone smile. My name is Wong Lam, and I approve this podcast. <laughs>